Yo, yo. What's happening, brother? It's another Sunday night service. We are here. We are back. Welcomes, welcomes, welcomes. We welcome you once. We welcome you twice. We welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Has that ever We're gone tired. away? No, it's never going to go <laughs> That's away. That's never going to go away, man. Never Remember when away. that was, once upon a time, that was clever. Yeah, it was uh it was smooth. <laughs> 1971. That was a clever, a clever welcome. Hey man, how's everybody doing? It is a uh a chilly but nice March evening. Happy Sunday night service, Lady Charlene. Todd, stop touching my toes up my under the touching my feet up under the step, table. I can't step on you. Can't do that. Okay, no, that's me and my wife to do. Oh, I thought you were about to fight me because you're from the yo. That was gonna be some <laughs> black on black crime up in here. Uh, we don't need any of that. How's everybody doing? Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're looking at two tired preachers, extremely tired. I've done two services. You had uh, some special guests, yeah, and, and yeah. at your service, and and that that was great, man. I, I saw you had Dana on on tap and the legendary Miss Gwen, yes, making it happen. Dana done her thing, boy. She can Always make does. she can make that thing talk. Always does. I said, my God in heaven. But you know, Pastor Todd, we got a lot of things going on in the world. I we know got, you're excited, Jeff. We Go got ahead, we got wait a minute now. We got wars and rumors of wars. Wars and rumors of wars. We got, you know, we got all kind of stuff going on. But the biggest news. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. This week is my man, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson coming to them Browns, boy. What 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 you say? You know, I'm I'm like I'm like Bernie Mac. Somebody's in trouble, trouble, trouble. trouble. <laughs> hey hey, he got to get on the field first, Doc. Oh, he gonna get on. I mean, it's, he ain't played like five years between him and Kaepernick. <laughs> hey, I I said it before. I'll say it again. Browns have been a stacked team, but they've still been a disappointing team. So I hope this takes them over the top because you not only got. Deshaun, you got Amari Cooper. I mean, who else y'all gonna sign? The Monstars? The, uh... <laughs> we gonna sign that that, that one uh, female from the transgender uh, swim team? No, not <laughs> Leah Thomas. Yeah, we gonna we gonna sign her too. No, we signing everybody. We can't. We can't, we can't. <laughs> what do you think for real about the, the swim team? I mean, you know, I mean, I, I'm I'm completely against it. I mean, you can't. You can't, you just can't flip, flip like that. One, one year you and one, and the no, next she year. Wanted, she, but she wanted like two, three years of treatment. What, what did that mean? It ain't treat her. It ain't treat her muscles. She is. It ain't treat her. Uh, she is stacked. Yeah, it ain't treat. She's stacked. <laughs> but they are. <laughs> this is why we don't give you a mic, big mic. Because this wouldn't be called religiously incorrect. It'd be called sinfully incorrect. <laughs> Uh, it, it's too sticky of a situation. Uh, I don't think the competitive balance is really there. But she lost to a to a to a what people refer to as a traditionally born female. She lost to one too. Is she? So she dominated like on Thursday or something and, and won. And then she she lost. I she think came I, like fifth place. But I think they told. Yeah, I think they told. Yeah, you did they told her. Yeah, I think they told her. You got. You can't. You know. You can't dominate like. Come. You can't. You can't just dominate the whole thing. Then all of a sudden lose. I mean, well, I guess you can. You, you can. The Browns. You, you play for, <laughs> if you're the Browns, you can do that. If you're Baker Mayfield, or if you're uh, uh, fighting for Don King, you could do that. You know, take it. Take it. Take a dive. Well, you know, take a dive for the for the cause. I think, man, as 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 a father of a daughter. And I don't think you can expect people to be all right. At, I, I don't know where this is going to go. But no matter how you feel about it, even people who are pro 
on that side, you have to understand how people feel. Absolutely. I hope people do. Absolutely. I Maybe mean, they don't. For me, honestly, it's it's the same story that I've told year after year. I I will never and I have never hit a female just because I think males can dominate. And I, I mean, I don't, I, it doesn't matter. I don't care how much she hits you. We're you, traditionalists. You we are, yeah, we're, Listen, we're, I'm yeah, not going to hit you yeah. back. I'd rather walk away because if we end up in a real fight, it's, it's on, it's on, you know, so I'm just unless like, it's with her. <laughs> I did that to a boy and realized I did it to a boy. I was coaching in basketball and him and a girl was a co-ed team for Ethan's age. They're young, they're young kids, seven, eight years old. And he got the tussling with a girl and she was rough with him. But when he threw a blow, I ran on that court. Oh yeah. You know, and he pouted and the mama was like, if he hits her, she's, I'm, but it, the, the old school in me, it's just me. Y'all got to live with it, deal with it. The old school Absolutely. in me said, a boy don't hit a girl like that. At all. So is it okay now? I'm not. I'm not cool. I'm, I mean, well, can LeBron join the WNBA and score like 300 points every night? Juana man, and that sounds so ignorant, though. But you know what I mean? Because it sounds so ignorant. But we're just saying what people are arguing. They're arguing that point, right? Right. As pastors, we love everyone. We cherish everyone. Absolutely. But the social side of things create a lot of deep arguments. What I won't do is be ignorant towards a person. Oh no. Express hatred towards a person. But I do think you have to take a real hard look at fairness and the, and the arguments that are being made. It's almost like Corona. Like the arguments are still out on what the science says. Some people are saying that testosterone doesn't matter as much. Or if you do this treatment, it'll like you said, that doesn't undo a person being six, four. How many females no, do you I know? Mean, I mean, how many how many how many can slam? It's very, like few, very few, very few. I mean, there is the a couple. The ability to but build it, muscle and right. do certain things. And I guess you can degrade that. But the funny thing is a lot of them degrade it after the fact. Like you've already built it. Then you like, I don't know. And we don't know enough to talk about it, but the argument's still out. But I mean, it's it's not going away. The, you know, and, 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 you know, we talked about the church. We have to just deal with gender issues. The new realities, you know, are thankfully. Here's one thing I can say. Our children are far more advanced than we are. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Our, our children are far more advanced than we are as far as we're afraid of it being normalized for certain reasons. I get it. And we all feel that way. But I think from the standpoint of ignorant and hateful behavior that we are normalized to, our children, for the most part, won't carry that. Absolutely not. My, and I'm actually grateful. For my that. daughter actually argued with the whole them movement, uh, the, the, you know, and. I mean, I was I was he, proud of her. He, he, she, them. Well, yeah, he, she. I was proud of her for arguing. I mean, I ain't let her win. I'm not. I was, right. <laughs> I was proud of her for arguing. And I will not put that on my Twitter. I'm not putting Todd Johnson, he, she, or you know, he, them, they. I'm not doing that. And I mean, that this this doing. is not hate. We we're 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 not hate. We, and I'm still struggling with pronouns. I'm. I'm, I'm I, I would appreciate it if people would allow us to be honest about absolutely our struggles with it without thinking that we're being hateful. Right, 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 right. I right. would appreciate it. We had to listen to people tell us they didn't want to live in neighborhoods with us for like a hundred years. Hey, like now, they still don't <laughs> still don't want to live here with us. <laughs> that's all that loud music you that's play. All, yeah, that's all pulling that, up on all your that, motorcycle all, all out. Bumpity, bumpity, bump. <laughs> Barbecuing every day. <laughs> Thanks. They want some barbecue now, though. Welcome to Black Stereotypes <laughs> podcast. You guys are hilarious. Well, we, you know, uh, 
I'm proud of the Browns. I'm looking forward to another competitive year. Dallas making some moves too, real quick. They are. Yeah, they they are. some moves. Yeah. Hey, Steelers got Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> Mentor's own. The pride of Mentor. Yeah, he, and, and, but a lot of people said he was in the wrong system with Chicago. Absolutely. So maybe he'll make some moves. Maybe Najee Harris will break out. Cle- uh, Pittsburgh has a habit of taking unlikely people and making them, if not stars, then at least stalwarts. Yeah. Cleveland had, I mean, Pittsburgh has a habit of doing that. Cleveland has a habit of taking stars and, making them and ruining their career. And now, now, Antonio Brown said, he, if they, if they, Acquire Antonio Brown. I'm I'm I'm, I'm no. Come no, on, you guys can't have Antonio Brown. We can't have him and Deshaun. That's I mean, <laughs> Lord have mercy. They go out in the middle of the field and have a crazy off. Just can't do that. Deshaun it's will be running after cheerleaders. Uh, right, AB can be running around naked and stuff. We can't have these problems, man. But hey, that just shows you how hungry we are for football. Absolutely, we, we are hungry for football to come back. We're we all Iowans. I mean, we're high ones. We can't help. What, what else do we have? Exactly. Right. I mean, don't nobody want to watch Westbrook miss a million yeah, shots Westbrook. again tonight. Listen, retire, Doc. Jesus no. told me to tell you. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Jesus told, told me to tell Russell Westbrook <laughs> to retire and get in the fashion industry where you really want to be. If LeBron don't go ahead and do this real quick, yeah, just let it yeah. go. Let it go, Doc. Well, let go it go. Go see my that paints in your hair or something. <laughs> do the Beijing or something. Mike, you got to do it too. Go ahead, Mike. Mike. <laughs> let it go, Doc. Leave me, Mike alone. Well, welcome, everybody. You know what we want you to do. We want you to like. We want you to share. We want you to tag somebody because we have an incredibly important guest that is going to be instrumental, I think, in the future of Ohio. And you're definitely going to want to hear from him, to give your questions and all that jazz. Hey, Elder Carter. But, Jeff, before we even go on, we have a little bit more foolery to go. We know what time it is. It's time for Meme of the Week. We're about to get some emails for this. Right, right. We've told the lines, but we're not going. We're right here. This is meme of the week. Meme of the week. Welcome to religiously incorrect, ladies and gentlemen. Meme of the week. Meme of the week. We thank you. Send us your memes of the week. Meme of the week. Meme of the week. We are. We are. These are all jokes. We are just playing. This is the part of the show, Pastor Jeff, that we call Meme of the Week. There's, there's, there's always one meme. It's a church meme or a religious-based meme, a joke. It's all for fun. It's just for fun. It's just for fun. We're pastors. So it's probably true, but it's, it's just for fun. It's probably true, but it's for fun. <laughs> what, what, what we got, Big Mike? When you're at the club and you see somebody else from church. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you've been there. You've been there. This is why, Pastor Jeff, you only go to clubs out of town. Yeah, you can't. I mean, just go. And you can't go to places where you know people from your city frequent. So don't go to Columbus. Just, just, just go to, just go on a cruise and go on a club. You know, go get somewhere way far I did away. It. You know, get, get I somewhere away. I, I was dropping it like it's hot <laughs> on the cruise ship. Y'all know I like to. I, I yeah, yeah. Try Jeff, to do two Jeff thinks he's Michael Jackson, uh, <laughs> Prince, Kurt Franklin. Uh, what is it? Breaking two electric boogaloo, and then his son got out there during dinner time. <laughs> then his son showed his tail at dinner time. They played some music, and this guy was doing the worm and everything. Wait like, a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! We on a cruise at this moment. We in church and Todd like, go ahead, Christian, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> 
I'm embarrassed in the mud. <laughs> Go ahead, Christian. Christian's doing all break dance. They, they getting up doing all the Fortnite dances and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, to the audience. Do, do you feel convicted when you go out somewhere and you're like, you know, I feel like if I'm not doing nothing bad, where's the judgment at? Absolutely. I, I just say I'm evangelizing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to reach the lost. That's why I'm here. I'll try to reach why the you lost. Here? Why are you here? Why I'm, try, I'm trying to figure out why you here. I keep some tracks in my back pocket just in case, <laughs> like some I Love Jesus stickers just in case. As soon as you see them, you start. Uh, Tatum, Pastor Tatum said, don't go on a cruise. They will shout you out on a cruise. Yeah, because, you know, now the cruises, they put up like tweets with your face on them and stuff. <laughs> and have Pastor Tatum in a Congo line with a margarita in her hand. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful because you do go places and they'll take a picture and tag you. Absolutely. You know. I, I won two dance, two dance, two dance, was it dance contests on the cruise? Yeah, Jeff. I the won the dance contest. contest. Yeah, 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 he gets it. He gets it. I just I just want everybody to be saved. I need we need to start cruise church. Cruise church. Do they have a church? Do they have church on the cruise? Oh, they do. You can rent a room. You can rent a room. I mean, you know, you got to have it about 12 o'clock because everybody be drunk. Everybody drunk. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So let, let, let's keep it moving, y'all. Just just be careful. If you're going to go club, you're going to hit the bars. Just don't go to the club. How about don't that? Go, go to church. Go to church. Go to church. Go to church. If you got a meme you want to send in, you can send it to religiously incorrect podcast at gmail.com. Go no ahead. Worries, yeah. Hey, COVID ain't in the club. COVID's not in the club. <laughs> COVID, it's only at church. COVID is only at church. <laughs> People be like, I ain't going to church, baby. That COVID is there. <laughs> COVID is the only place that church still exists. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. All right. You can send them in to religiously incorrect podcast at gmail.com. And if we think it's funny enough or we just have it in the line. We'll, we'll throw it up there. Thank you all so much. Our, our, our sponsors today from the Phillips Care family of business, Phillips Care Cleaning Service. They do residential cleaning, floor cleaning. I mean, they do everything from uh, maintenance. I mean, they'll drywall. If you can think of it, they can do it. They do carpet cleaning. Uh, starting a 35 room with a carpet, basic steam clean. Uh, and while you're at it, check out Phillips Care Lawn Care Services. The, the, the weather's getting nicer. You know, grass needs to be cut. You know, got branches and stuff in the mulch. ice need to be pulled. Mulch, need that mulch done. You know what I mean? They'll take care of you. They do everything from mowing, edging, trimming, lawn mowing, everything you could think of, they do. Check out, check them out on Phillips Care LLC on Facebook. Call my man Fernando at 330-219-7916. Another wonderful black-owned business in the, in the community. And uh, they do a great job. And they've done a great job for me. So we appreciate it. Uh, hey, we got a guest, and I want you to like, share, tag, Shoot this up on your, your YouTube, Instagram, your Facebook, your Twitter, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching. We are in election season, Pastor Jeff. Yes, we are. We are in the primary season. And we said it last week. Midterms are not almost as important. They might be more important. Yes, absolutely. And then you have gubernatorial and congressional races, state representative races mm-hmm. that are going on in what we call off years. I got a saying. There's no such thing as an off year. Should be. No such thing as an off year when it comes to voting, when it comes to uh, those people who represent us from the local level, a councilman like myself, mm-hmm. all the way up to the president of the United States. But here's our problem. We drop off after the presidential election. So we've got a guest on. I've had a chance to meet this gentleman, actually sit down and break bread and, and chat with him and talk with him. And he is a candidate for the governor of Ohio. Yes, the governor of Ohio. Some of you don't even know who the governor is right now. <laughs> 
You need to know who your governor is. You need to know who the candidates are, what they stand for. And that's why we want you to like, tag, share, ask your questions, challenge, ask the hard questions. Please, no, no please. fluff. Yeah, yeah. No, no fluff. We want please. the hard. We want y'all to ask, ask questions. Ask like algebra questions, like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the angle of a triangle. I mean, ask yeah. whatever you want. Uh, but this individual is, is the former mayor of Cincinnati. Uh, he's a mayor of Cincinnati, actually was at the forefront of even some some justice initiatives uh, that helped to bring some equity and equality to some issues. Uh, he's been a public servant for many years, and he is running as a Democratic candidate in this primary to win the Democratic nomination for governor so that he can go on to be in the general election for the governor of the state of Ohio this year. I want you to welcome to the religiously incorrect stage, Mr. John Cranley. Give it up for Mr. John Cranley. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be with you. Oh, we're glad. <laughs> we're right, right. We're glad. We're glad to have you. Glad we didn't scare you off. That's always good. Yeah. We always see if the guests stick around after the intro. Can, can I just start off by saying I, I, I'm I'm digging your suit. I knew you were I'm digging that. your suit, Doc. It's it's, you. it's 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 working. You working it, sir? You working it? Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. He's been in the uh, Steve Harvey collection. I see. He, I he's, see. Been the, he's been in the, the Family Feud collection. You got it. You got it. He knew he was coming to a black show. <laughs> he, he, knew. he said, what is the blackest thing I got in my house? The blackest that, thing. That's from the, uh, what was it, my dude, Craig Sager. Craig, Craig Sager with the, with, I love it. No, that, that, he really is. That, that That's sharp. We appreciate you being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, uh, we want to dive right into it. Uh, Mr. Cranley, uh, you were the mayor of Cincinnati. Can you take us back before the mayor days? How did you get into public service period? Just talk to us about that. Thank you so much. Um, so I, I grew up uh, in Cincinnati, uh, blessed by faith. My mother always tells the story that I was talking about God at a very young age and my friends were making fun of me. And um, apparently that didn't deter me. Uh, my mother is a School teacher, my, my dad's a Vietnam veteran, we're Irish Catholic family. Um, I like to say I was raised by the Sisters of Charity at my St. William's grade school and then ruined by the Jesuits at St. Xavier High School. <laughs> St. Xavier, it. yeah, you know, like Walsh or like Ignatius near you guys, not you know, a little bit of a drive, but all boys Jesuit high school. <clears throat> and that had a big impact on my life. And in fact, my sophomore year, uh, at the high school, I did the school play, uh, mainly because I failed to make a bunch of sport teams. And mm -hmm. secondly, because I, because I wanted to meet the girls from the all-girls school that were in the play with us. So I'm and, talking about. Yes, sir. You know, why not? And uh, we did a play about the life and death of a human rights activist who was murdered, assassinated in El Salvador in 1980 named Oscar Romero. Uh-huh. And he, of course, was a proponent of liberation theology. And he was murdered by the government of El Salvador for speaking out on behalf of the poor of his country. If you don't know him, um, and he was recently made a saint by Pope Francis, mm -hmm. uh, he was kind of like the Martin Luther King of his country. And we were doing a play about his life and his assassination in El Salvador, which is kind of an obscure topic for an upper middle class school in Cincinnati, Ohio. I had a small part. I was killed three separate times. I had blood packets. You know, <laughs> I, I love it. I was just trying to have fun. But uh, the, the the story of this man's life and his faith, because I had had faith, but it really challenged me to think about what does it mean 
when Jesus is talking so much about helping the poor. What does that really mean? But right. my life changed on the third day of our show, November 16th, 1989. On that morning, the death squads in El Salvador murdered six Jesuit priests again, 10 years later. Um, and since I went to a Jesuit priest high school, the priests at my school, <coughs> the victims who had been murdered that morning. And so we thought we were doing a play about the past. We didn't think we were forecasting the future. Wow. And so it dawned on me that I was pretending to be shot and killed within hours of people who had been literally shot and killed for speaking out for the poor and for the suffering of the people of El Salvador who were horribly oppressed and still are by their government. And so that was a really an epiphany for me that I had to devote my life to public service and not just play act on a stage. I went from there to John Carroll University in Cleveland, and then I went to Harvard Law School and Harvard Divinity School. Uh, and so I also have a master's in theology, and I have a, I'm a lawyer. And uh, one of the things that I'm most proud of that I did with my law degree, and I have a long political career that I hope to talk about, but before we get into that, I was the co-founder of the Ohio Innocence Project at the Cincinnati Law School, where the students work on cases of people who claim to be innocent. And if they are, and we can prove it with DNA or something along those lines, we get them out. And over the last uh, 20 years, we've exonerated 34 people from prison in Ohio. Wow. I was the original director. I visited the clients in prison. I've been to virtually every prison and maybe one or two I didn't get to uh, in the state of Ohio. And criminal justice reform is important to me because these are people that I met with in prison and helped to get them out. Um, and so that had a big impact on my life that, uh, that there are times when government can abuse people and we need people in government that will try to do that less often and instead try to liberate people. Um, in addition to that, um, I was on city council for eight years in the early 2000s. And then I was in the private sector for a while. Then I became mayor for the last eight years. And I just left the, the mayor's office about a month ago. Wow. But Cincinnati's story is a story of um, racial justice and a lot of racial injustice. Um, and so, you know, Cincinnati, like the rest of America, plagued by the original sin of racism, um, really boiled over in the late 90s and early 2000s when we had a number of uh, young black men who were killed by our police, uh, many of which were unarmed and posed no threat to the police. And our city really boiled over. And uh, by a lot of, for a lot of reasons, I was in politics at a very young age. And I was appointed when I was 26 in 2000. And in April of 2001, our city really blew up. And after Timothy Thomas was shot and killed by the police, uh, a man was 19 years old, he posed no threat to the police. And he was just wanted on, on some curfew violations. He, had, he ran from the police and they shot and killed him. And so our city was engulfed in a lot of uh, anger. And in fact, the Reverend Damon Lynch III of Cincinnati uh, called for a boycott against uh, our city at that time. And it was picked up by the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss Jr. in Cleveland, picked up by the Urban League and, the, and NAACP. And we were in a really tight, terrible spot. And I was young, ambitious, idealistic, and believed that we could have a better future. And over many, many years, I'm proud to say that we have dramatically reformed police in Cincinnati. We've dramatically invested in Black-owned businesses. Um, and now the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss Jr. and Damon Lynch III in Cincinnati 
who 21 years ago said, don't spend money in Cincinnati, have now endorsed my campaign for governor and say, make the mayor of Cincinnati governor of Ohio. And between 2001 and 2021, we arrested half as many people annually, but our shootings are down by 75%. So we've made our city safer, literally, by arresting fewer people, by building relationships with the community. And focusing can you on talk about... Can you talk about what that reform looked like and what the pushback was? What might be just a couple of the, of the tenets of the reform and how hard was it? Because we hear about police unions. We hear about, you know, I mean, that's that's a that's a very strong force. Can you talk to us just real talk about what that looked like and maybe maybe some of the major barriers or hurdles you had to get over to get in that direction? Absolutely. And I could I'll talk about it as long as you guys want to, because I've unfortunately or fortunately been through a lot of it. Um, and so the first thing that we found out was that in most cities are like this across the country, the police union and the civil service and the FOP contracts are so powerful. And the city charters are set up such that in many, many, many cities across America, including Cincinnati at the time, the political leadership, despite elected and wanting change, had very little power to make the change for a variety of legal reasons. And so the federal government, the U.S. Justice Department, is a key element of reform. This isn't a shock. It was the federal government that had to bring voting rights and civil rights to the South. And that's the same is true with police departments across America. And so the most consequential vote that I ever cast in my career was as a young city councilman, we voted on whether or not to allow the Justice Department to come in and essentially put our city under a consent decree. Yeah, and yeah. We could, we could fight it or we could, we could try to work with it. And we decided to try to mediate the solution rather than litigate the solution. And that vote was a five to four vote on our city council. And um, I voted with the five to bring the Justice Department in. I was brand new to city council. And in retrospect, 22 years later, it was the best uh, political move, uh, uh, public official move I ever made. And without it, Cincinnati would not be on the comeback that it is. And I should point out that Cincinnati in the 2020 census became the first city in Ohio history to make a comeback in population. We have the largest number wow. of black owned businesses that make a million bucks. We have reduced shootings in 2021 over 2020. And so this, this decision 21 years ago to put us on police reform has had huge, paid huge dividends. But having said that, to your question, we met enormous resistance at the time from the FOP and from many members of the community. And in fact, as I mentioned, the vote to make this change was five to four. And it was a very hotly contested debate because, you know, essentially what the cops were saying and the supporters of the cops, and I consider myself a supporter of cops, is that, hey, you have a few bad apples and don't, you know, cast the entire department, you know, as racist. Um, on the other side, the civil rights community was saying this isn't an isolated event. We're getting pulled over at disproportionate rates and and we're treated disrespectfully. And, you know, we decided, the five of us decided that this was a systemic problem that had to change. And that did not mean, nor did it mean, and nor does it mean today, that we think that every cop's racist. We're trying to be uh, unfair. 
but there's systems in place that that change the outcomes and implicit bias of course plays a major part in that yeah. So w- what are the reforms? So there, as I like to say, there are three major buckets of reform. The first is use of force. We have to dramatically de-escalate situations between citizens and police officers so they don't lead to lethal force. And that's everything from replacing the baton with a taser to um, teaching de-escalation tactics to mental health training, substance abuse training, and figuring out that the, that that the, the cops have to learn how to de-escalate and not escalate. Mm-hmm. Second is transparency and accountability. Uh, I was the first city in Ohio to get body cameras on 90% of my cops. They now come on mm-hmm. automatically without the cop deciding whether to turn it on or off, which is super important. And we have uh, 20 years ago, I helped to create a citizen's uh, complaint authority to review police misconduct by citizens in an independent investigation outside of internal police affairs. And third is teaching the cops to actually go after the guns and the gun violence and to build partnerships to do that. I would say it took us five hard years from 2001 to 2006 or seven before things really started to change and the culture changed Mm -hmm. and our police became adopters of the change. And now I'm very proud to say that the Cincinnati police are converts and they help preach these changes to other cities. And in light of George Floyd and in light of the um, uh, looting that occurred in many cities, we had very little that a lot of that has to do and, and was widely recognized as because we've had 20 years of reform. Hmm. That's awesome. Uh, and by the way, in 2020, uh, after the murder of George Floyd, one of the issues that came up that we still hadn't done a lot on was arbitration reform to make it easier to discipline or fire a cop who does something terrible. Uh-huh. And I ref- and, and one of the last things I did as mayor is I was help I, I helped to negotiate and got an agreement to make it easier to discipline or fire cops who do bad things. And I was able to get gotcha. that at the bargaining table with the FOB. Awesome. Um a little bit earlier you had talked about how you were part of uh the Innocence Project, which I'm really um totally for. I really love what they do. Uh, not too long ago, we had a forum here at the Eastwood Mall here in Warren, Ohio, with uh, what some, a guy from the Innocence Project, and uh, they actually had one of the guys from the Cleveland Three. I'm not know, I don't know if you're familiar with I think it was Larice Glover, yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and one of the things the guy said was that, uh, you know, once you are convicted, uh, you don't have a right to a trial anymore. So it takes about eight sure. years for anybody who's convicted. I think that's, um, I think that's heinous. I think that's ridiculous. Um, so I guess my question is, first of all, and I think you might've just answered it. Uh, what do you feel about uh, qualified immunity and uh, how do we deal with all so many people who are maybe, well, the other thing was he also said that he's been out now, I think he said five years and he hasn't received not a dime of the money that he was supposed to get. And I want to know how many people that of the, I think you said 34, 34 yeah. uh, got reparations for uh, the time that they spent uh, incarcerated. Well, I'm a big supporter of, I mean, I founded the Innocence Project. Larice is a friend of mine. Larice, one of the East Cleveland Three, has been touring the state with us, promoting our campaign. Um, and, 
most of our clients have, in fact, received a fairly sizable compensation. And Ohio is above average in general. The, the fundamental problem is that in order to get statutory compensation in Ohio, a judge has to declare you innocent as opposed to just letting you out of prison. And so some people get caught up in not getting compensation in the short term because they haven't been officially declared innocent. And trust me, when I become governor, I will issue executive orders to make sure that that happens. In addition to that, um, once they get statutory compensation, they normally bring a civil rights case, which leads to many millions of dollars of settlement. And most of our clients have been able to get that, not all of them. So first of all, I think there should be legislation to make it easier. Um, I think you need judges and governors who are going to intervene to do the right thing uh, for people. But bigger picture, we got to do a lot of criminal justice reform, which starts with, you know, reducing the number of incidences between cops and citizens to the ones that are absolutely necessary. And that involves retraining licensing, you know, improving uh, uh, how we hire and deploy police. It also involves accountability and transparency with body cameras for every cop um, uh, in the state. And then, of course, we need changes in better funded public defenders, better funded criminal justice for people who are, in fact, innocent. Um, and in, in, most of the time, got terrible lawyers when they lost the trial uh, to begin with. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, there's nothing to change the fact that you need human beings in positions of power, whether it's prosecutor or judge, <coughs> to do the right thing. And we've yeah. had, you know, I'm a proud Democrat, I'm running as a Democrat. But we've had judges, we've had judges Democrats and Republicans that have been terrible to our clients. We've had prosecutors or Democrats and Republicans that have been terrible to our clients. We've had Democrats and Republicans who have been great to our clients. And so it really does come back to moral education that if you're a judge or a prosecutor, you have to ask yourself, are you doing justice? And are you really helping people achieve justice and not just uphold a conviction because you can, but because the person is in fact innocent or guilty. Um, and unfortunately, too many prosecutors and judges uh, are unwilling to use the courage of saying, this one, we just got it wrong. In many of the cases, in fact, I would say 95% of the cases, the police and the prosecutors, when they originally convicted our clients, they thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they had the guilty party. There were a lot of reasons we think that's crazy in every case, but at the time, they thought it was right. What's crazy to us and to me personally is that we have had many, many cases where we have DNA evidence proving that our client is innocent and the prosecutors and the judges still refuse to let our, our guy go. And that, to me, is just wrong. And we need prayer and we need moral conversion because there's no excuse uh, when there's overwhelming evidence, objective evidence. And all systems are human systems. They're all going to be imperfect. And we have to be able to self-correct. Luckily, the Innocence Project has been able to self-correct for 34 people. But to Larissa's point that you heard, it's often taken us seven, eight, nine, ten years to get somebody out. And so we need reform systemically, but we also have got to call and pray for everyone in positions of power, like judge, like prosecutor, like public defender, 
to do the right thing for the right reasons. Real quick, and I know you got a question. Real quick, uh, just to end on that. Also, they talked about policies that are being created uh, that there must be uh, taping, some type of taping done in the interrogation room. Um, what, do you know, have any updates on that or uh, what's going on with that? Yes, no, huge issue. In fact, the, 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 in Ohio, the law now is that they have to tape record the interrogation uh, room, and that is a key criminal justice piece of reform. The question is, there's often a law that gets passed in Columbus that isn't translated down to the local level. So one of the things I'm going to do as governor is making sure that local police departments are, in fact, following the law. And that is a critical piece to avoid innocent people being imprisoned is interrogation reform, videotaping the interrogation, as well as double blind um, showing of, 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 of potential suspects. Wow. I like that. And that was a good question. And I appreciate you answering that. Uh, you know, we agree full, wholeheartedly. I mean, I'm, I was grateful the very first time I met you and you mentioned the Innocence process, uh, prog- Project and all of those things. We also, though, witnessed Ohio take a sharp turn red five years ago, yep. you know, six years ago now. And it feels like while there is a lot of agreement with the policies, and I think everybody wants justice to a, a, an extent, there still seems to be a bias against justice for black people and poor people. You kind of lump that together. And also, do you feel the issue, the, 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 the big issue in trying to prevail on these issues, is it that enough people in Ohio agree with your positions, uh, you know, with the swing red in Ohio, or are there a lot of people who agree, but they're not voting and we need to get out the vote? So do you feel like you have a massive uh, advantage with the overall population agreeing with your positions on policy? Or do you feel like it's more of there's a segment that agrees and we've got to get them out to vote to make this change happen? Where do you see we where do you think we stand as a state with this polarization, with this red versus blue, with this extreme right and and liberal left, you know, that whole thing? How do we bring that together with these ideas? So it's all of the above, uh, but fundamentally we have to convert some people back. There are over a hundred thousand mm. voters in Ohio that voted for Obama and Trump. Think about mm. that. The same human beings voted for both. Those same people voted for Sherrod Brown and they voted for Mike DeWine for governor four years ago. And so these are not folks who are consistent and it's easy to categorize people who voted for Trump as, you know, racist or sexist or prejudiced. But these people I'm describing, which is the margin of victory or defeat, voted for Obama twice. Wow. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time on this. <clears throat> Obviously, I'm running for governor. And I think the best theory to explain this is that Obama's people said they won the 2012 election in Ohio. 2008 was a big landslide against Bush and Iraq and the Great Recession. 2012 was many, in many ways far more impressive of a victory for Obama in Ohio because Tea Party birtherism was in full bloom and the economy was still bad. And yet he won again. And his own people uh, have written that they won Ohio because of the auto rescue. And there were so many jobs, especially in your neck of the woods, that were tied to the mm-hmm. auto industry. That people said, you know what, 
I'm going to vote for this guy because he had my back. And Mitt Romney had come out against the auto rescue. Sherrod Brown has been elected in a state that's tougher and tougher by being against the free trade deals that many people believe sent their jobs overseas. Middle class jobs that used to be able to live and get a pension on, health care on, and take care of your kids and grandkids. And now those jobs are far and few between. Trump was brilliant in evil in many ways, in my opinion, but he was brilliant in using NAFTA and free trade with China against the Democrats because Bill Clinton signed it and he was running against Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden voted for it also. Mm. I believe that 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 is the wrong speed for Ohio. We've got to have people who are focused like a laser beam on economic populism and figuring out how to raise the minimum median income. You know, the fact is that the average Ohioan used to make more money than the average American. Now it's 86 cents on the dollar. And wow. as I point out, that's all happened under Republicans running our state. But Democrats rarely make this point that their policies have failed and my policies in Cincinnati are succeeding. In Cincinnati, in the last 10 years, for the first time in 70 years, our population was up, not down. Poverty was down one and a half times faster than the state. Black businesses are doing better. Crime is down. Our policies are moving Cincinnati in the right direction. But the average Ohioan, white or black, and in fact, in the more rural areas, which tend to be more white, it's the worst of all places in Ohio. And that's where you have almost exclusively Republican rule. You have Republican state leadership. You have Republican congressmen. You have Republican county commissioners. You have Republican city council people all the way down the line. And yet we as Democrats have got to go to them and not concede those votes and say, here's what's in it for you. And my agenda is focused on $60,000 a year jobs available to anyone, regardless of going to college, to build the infrastructure that rural and inner city needs, like broadband. Inner city Warren, inner city Cincinnati, kids have to go to McDonald's to do their homework during COVID because they don't have good Wi-Fi at home. Rural Ohio can't use their farm equipment without good broadband and Wi-Fi. This is an issue that can unite the state. Jobs mm. to build that Wi-Fi are good-paying union jobs. I'm going to pay for those jobs by legalizing marijuana, taxing and putting the taxes into those jobs. And by the you way, that's Jeff's awesome. Vote. You just got Jeff's vote right there. You got Jeff. You might got Mike's for you real. Might got Mike's. <laughs> yeah, but this so, also so gets deal with that. Because you got what? polarizing issues. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sixty-five percent of Trump voters support legalizing marijuana. This is a way to to not just unite the Democratic Party, but to reach back to those voters that voted for Ted Strickland, that voted for Sherrod Brown, that voted for Barack Obama, but then voted for Trump. Right. right. And and I'm also running on a dividend. So you guys are living on top of the largest natural gas formation in the world. And Alaska, Republican Alaska, everyone gets a dividend from oil. North Dakota, everyone gets a dividend from natural gas. I'm running on a $500 dividend for people in Ohio, for families that make 75000 or less. And we can afford it. And this will help with inflation, gas prices, food. And this is the kind of economic populism we need if we're going to win again as Democrats. I appreciate it. The, the gun lobby is, is, in my view, out of control. Uh, and this latest law that has been passed by uh, Governor DeWine uh, that, you know, no, requiring no permit, no training, no nothing, 
Now, I hear a lot of my peers, especially my black brothers and sisters. Yeah, I'm going to go out and get that. I'm telling them, yo, this is not for you. This law is not for you. <laughs> you you should be worried about this. Absolutely. How do you battle these strong lobbies? And what do you think about that law in particular as far as that that new open carry and, you know, no permit, no CCW required? Where do you stand on that? And how do you think this affects citizens and especially African-American citizens? It's going to get people killed. It is outrageous. As I've said publicly, it's a stain. The fact that Mike DeWine signed it is a stain on his soul. Um, mm-hmm. You need a license to drive a car, which is a lethal vehicle, and so is a gun, obviously. It's outrageous. And I believe that not only is he kowtowing to the gun lobby, but remember, this isn't just a gun lobby. I mean, it's not just Democrats who oppose this bill. 90% of Ohioans oppose this bill. The cops propose oppose this bill. This is going to get cops killed. There used to be a requirement that you told a cop if you were pulled over if you had a gun. This gets rid of that. This is going to lead wow. to escalation of tensions between citizens and cops. And sometimes it could be bad for the citizen, and sometimes it could be bad for the cops. But th- but this is my point. You know, every Democrat says, and we believe it, and we and we mean it, that we support criminal justice reform, and we support good cops. We need good cops in our community. We need less crime. We need less shootings and less violence. The Republicans have declared war on the cops. The cops, the the Fraternal Order Police, the police chiefs of Ohio strongly oppose this bill because they know it's going to lead to cops getting killed. And so don't believe for a minute when Republicans say they support law enforcement. That's a bunch of hooey. The fact is it's open season on cops in Ohio right now because of this law. Wow. We, we do have a question for you, but before we get to the questions, because we're going to open it up for questions, I want to ask you one thing. Uh, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but the Pope uh, issue, what it's called, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's called Lotto, Lotto Say, Lotto Sia. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, Lotto Sia, yeah, yes. That's it. That's it. It's, 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 yeah, it's a good Jesuit right there. That? That's a good Jesuit right there. He knows how to pronounce this stuff. <laughs> and it's dealing with environmental reform, correct? And 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 uh, clean air and clean jobs. And some of these jobs are literally the highest paying jobs that are coming out right now. And many of them are not coming to our areas. Um, I just wanted to know your take on that and, and on environmental reform and things of that nature. Well, As mayor of Cincinnati, uh, I built the largest solar farm ever built by a city in America. We uh, rented or leased a combination of bought and leased land in Highland County outside of Cincinnati. uh, And we built enough solar solar, uh, panels to fill 750 football fields, 330,000 individual solar panels. And the city government of Cincinnati is now carbon neutral. 130 electricians. Uh, worked on that project, making over $60,000. And the company that we hired to do this for us is a Black-owned business in Cincinnati. And so I believe that clean energy jobs can and should be replicated across the state. Having said that, after we got started, the Republicans passed a law. Mike DeWine signed a bill that allows local government to prohibit the permitting of wind and solar projects in Ohio. They now believe that government should tell farmers that they can't do clean energy if they want to. I mean, think about that. Republicans used to believe in property rights 
and letting farmers do what they want. Now they want government to be able to tell farmers they can't do wind and solar, even if they can make more money as the farmers in our case we're doing better by by helping us do wind and solar. So that's something I think we can expand throughout the state of Ohio uh, and a variety of jobs. And I, look, I'm an all of the above person. I believe natural gas is a, definitely a part of Ohio's future. It's cleaner than coal. Uh, I think coal is too, the legacy coal. But e- economically, the new env- energy stuff has got to be clean and natural gas and nuke. And I believe that there's a tremendous uh, job opportunities for people in Northeast Ohio. I, I appreciate that answer. And we have a question from a viewer who is asking, if elected, uh, what can we expect you to pass in the first 100 days, six months or a year? And, and we all know that there may be obstruction and you have to build a cabinet out and do those things. But what are your goals for the first 100 days, six months or a year for the state of Ohio? So uh, very clearly, my three big promises are that I'm going to um, create 30,000 jobs a year that pay $60,000, enough to have a middle-class life. Those jobs will be available to people regardless of whether they graduated from college. And those jobs will be to build out broadband for the whole state in four years, clean energy projects, clean water projects, clean uh, and fixing roads and bridges, and advanced manufacturing. So a combination of jobs that make 30,000 jobs every year, 120,000 jobs over four years, that all pay sixty grand a year. I'm going to pay for those jobs by legalizing marijuana, taxing and using the tax to pay for those jobs. That's the second promise. And then the third is creating this dividend of $500 a year for families that make up to $75,000 a year. And so I promise that that's what I'll get done uh, in my first term. And I intend to get it done in the first six months. At the same same time, um, there's a lot of things that I can do by myself. For example, uh, when I get sworn in at midnight on January 1st, I'm going to fire the utility commissioners of Ohio that gave us the HB6 deal, the worst deal in the history of the state, that raised mm. our monthly energy bills to bail out First Energy. Dick Celeste, the Democratic governor who got elected twice, the only one to get elected, he fired the commissioners when he was elected in 1982. So it's fitting that 40 years later, I will fire the utility commissioners that gave us HB6 because they're really not fighting for us, the public. They're fighting for private utilities. And so I can do that without anyone else's approval. I can also appoint a cabinet that reflects the diversity of the state um, and get a lot done through executive action. But the three big legislative things is jobs, legal marijuana, dividend. Well, you just answered the the next question that uh, one of our viewers had, which was the diversity of your cabinet, and uh, so that 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 jumps on that. You want you want to jump in with a question, or because I, I got go I, I'm ready for I'm ready to get religiously incorrect now. Please. Go. So, as as black pastors, we face, and I personally welcome, but we do face as a community every two or four years a rush of politicians who visit our churches, who come to communities, who show up at the barbecues, you know, I mean, throw me a chicken wing, all that other stuff. And then in between, you know, the common complaint is that we don't see constant engagement in between. And it's not a selfish thing, I don't believe, because I consider the black community a special interest group. Absolutely. So what in particular, I know that you can say jobs, you know, hey, hi, hello. That's my wife. Uh, (laughs) 
Hi, wife. <laughs> hello, hello. Yeah. This is why we come to the studio to keep our wives out. But you're you're <laughs> you're, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. You have a lovely wife, Mr. Cranley. No, thank you. What guarantees can you give us? And and I mean, and one of our viewers just said it, and I love her. One of my, she's one of my mamas. She said, "No disrespect, but besides name dropping people you've worked with, besides coming and saying the black church is the center of the community and all of that stuff, you know, what constant engagement and how would this directly? Because here's what we feel like: we're often made a part of those jobs, those 30,000 jobs, and those are going to be for you too, and and this is going to benefit you too. But what specifically do you want to see done for the Black community? You've said about Cincinnati. How do you want to see this impact the rest of the state? Well, thank you. First, as you know, I've been to your church, not in the election year, but last year, before the election yes. year. I've been doing that in Cincinnati for 22 years, and that's why I have virtually every major civil rights and pastor endorsing me here in Cincinnati because I've built relationships over many, many years. My personal staff in the mayor's office was half white and half black. Uh, my city manager, my police chief, my fire chief, my waterworks director, uh, my recreation director, my parks director were all African-American. Uh, my wife, who you just met, uh, when she became first lady of Cincinnati, uh, she worked with the first ladies of the black churches to create the first ladies for health initiative in Cincinnati. And so for eight years, once a year, we would bring the hospitals to the churches for, you know, uh, hypertension, diabetes check, prostate exams. In fact, Pastor Casey Smith, a very prominent pastor, was diagnosed with prostate cancer at one of these events. And then the wow. last year and a half, they've done vaccine distributions. And so these are deep relationships that uh, we've been part of for a long time. And obviously, we'll do our, the best to extend that statewide. But at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, my team and my cabinet and my leadership will reflect the diversity of the state. And we will move, like we did in Cincinnati, on state contracts to make sure that it's not just represents the state as a whole, but that in places like Warren or places like Youngstown or Cleveland or Akron or wherever, that the, the state contracts that go to those areas reflect the actual diversity in those areas and not just of that local area, 10, 10% of the whole state. So those areas are huh. where the black community is and the businesses are that need the help. I, I appreciate that. What you just said, I have several black business friends who have mm -hmm. talked. We've had a struggle in Trumbull County about a minimum you know, percentage of contracts going to black owned vendors and contractors. And by you saying, you know, not just reflective of the state, which is one percentage, but of our actual communities. Right. Community. To me, that's meaningful. And I'm definitely going to hold you to that one because that's so important to the building of black wealth and self-sufficiency that we need to see. But we do have to have access to the capital and the contracts to make that a reality. Uh, yeah, more, we just got a couple more questions yeah. here. Uh, one says, do you really believe? I, yeah, I Tim. It. Yeah, Tim. Okay. There it is. Do you really believe it's possible to unify the Trump Republicans and the Democrats? I'm sorry. I can't see what the rest of us say there. Voices Democratic in our state. Voices. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I guess the, 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 the flip answer is we're going to find out, but, um, they're mm. not real. What I don't think the only thing I would disagree with is they're not really Trump Republicans. They're people that voted for Trump. And I mean, there are people who are, in fact, Trump Republicans. Yeah. And there yeah, are Republicans right. that voted for Trump. But it, it, it's hard for us to understand. But it, it is true that over 150,000 Ohioans 
voted for Obama and Trump and Mike DeWine and Sherrod Brown. You know, you'd be like, what? How could that be? And, right, and, right. and these are unlike us who are a little bit more engaged in politics than most people. A lot of times these folks are just mad and they feel like their community is worse off and they're voting against whoever is sort of in power. But we have to make ourselves relevant to them. And I believe that the agenda that I've described that brings broadband to their community, clean water to their community, legalizes marijuana and creates a dividend to deal with inflation. These are issues that that are finely tuned to help improve the lives of all Ohioans. So so, yes, they are particularly attractive to people who voted for Trump and Obama. But that's not why we're doing it. It's we're doing it because it's the right thing. But it happens to also appeal to them. And it's not like we're going for rural voters and casting off urban Democrats. This is an issue. These are issues that unite our party, but reach out to those very people that we lost. Wow. That, that, that's good. And I, I appreciate you. There's one more here. Uh, what are what are his views on reparations, reparations for Ohio residents? Well, I'd say all residents, everybody. Do you have a, a position on reparations? Uh, we're talking slave, you know, uh, oppression of African-Americans in America. Do you have an opinion or a position on that? I think that if you look at my record, I went from when I became mayor of Cincinnati, uh, they had been recording for about 30 years what percent of city contracts went to African-American owned businesses. It had been two to two and a half percent for three decades. I promised when I ran for uh, mayor that I would get it to 15 percent, which is still lower than it should be. We got it to 17 percent. I'm doing that because that is more reflective of my city. And there's obviously been a huge uh, historical uh, racism and and oppression against black people in this country and in my city and in the state. I think I think it gets very messy when you start throwing around the reparations word. But the fact is that I'm a big supporter of affirmative action. In fact, I spent the last year in office fighting the Justice Department uh, from ending a consent decree on hiring requirements for a police department. Um, and believe that the cabinet leadership of our state, as well as the contracts in our state, have got to reflect the diversity of the state as a whole, but in particular, communities of color across the state. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. If you have a question uh, for Mr. Cranley, we're we're coming to the end. And so we want to get anybody in that hasn't had a chance to type in your question. We appreciate his time. We know it's a long day for all of us. Uh, you might need the wife to jump in to relieve you and answer a few questions on your behalf. Uh, you know how that goes. Uh, just want to tap in. You talked a lot about faith at the beginning as being what motivated you and these these seminal experiences in life. Uh, and, and obviously, the black church in particular is this automatic combination of spirituality and social justice and social uplift and all that. But. One thing that I don't think we've seen that, well, we have seen, but has become more fervent is there's another side of religion that feels just as fervent about what they believe. You know, the religious right. Now, it's become more extreme. And there seems to be almost this messianic, you know, this 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 we're, we're almost making, you know, God's kingdom come by fighting for this. Is there any hope for people that really are so ingrained, whether it's Trumpism, QAnon or or even People really feel like this is the will of God for this person or that person to be president or for the country to go this way. Because, I mean, honestly, as quiet as it's kept, African-Americans, sometimes we feel a little intimidated by how far people will go in the name of God. 
you know, and, and it's really antithetical to what we believe. And we feel like, well, this is, you know, we are the minority here, you know. Right. So if that majority takes on the religious side, how do we or can we possibly reconcile these strong religious leanings? Is it always sincere? And do you see your opponents playing on it sometimes as a way of getting votes and sort of pandering to those religious fringes? Well, look, I mean, I think, I mean, it's a deep question. It's something I've thought a lot about over many, many years and something we're grappling with all the time. I think, yeah. let, let's be real that, 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 and this applies to us too, <clears throat> you know, Christianity is a minority position. Many people profess Christianity, but aren't living Christian mercy, humility, forgiveness, love of neighbor. Well, you and, preach it now. And, and certainly, you know, to be truly Christian is to be against the mainstream world, the commercialism. I mean, think about it, and we all, I do it too. I mean, think about the materialism around Christmas and, and the gift buying and everything that's all about objects and not about the spirit. And so let's start with that premise that, that, that we're all sinners. And those of us professing to be Christians are trying to be Christians and constantly in need of forgiveness and redemption. So, so there's that. Um, the, the second issue is clearly there are a lot of false prophets. And I do believe as someone who's given a lot of time and effort to this, that if you are preaching hate, discrimination, if you are using uh, religion to justify um, keeping uh, the rich powerful and, and blocking the paths of opportunity, you are, in fact, a false prophet. And I think we have to debate it on the substance about what is and what is not consistent with the meaning of the Gospels. And while when we make those arguments, we can always point out the fact that we are we ourselves are not living up to our highest ideals. There are you know, massive differences uh, in the approach between, say, the Christian-infused uh, social justice of Martin Luther King and the discriminatory views of Jerry Falwell. I mean, these are these are debates that I think are that yeah. we need to have openly and honestly, and just say one side's right, one side's wrong. Doesn't mean there isn't uh, problems on both sides, but it is certainly the case that one is more true to the gospel than the other. I will also say that I think that there is. And this is because I, I do like to think of myself as a Christian. There is hope that as people grapple with the Gospels, there are conversion experiences that happen time and time again. And mm -hmm. I actually take some, I take some comfort in knowing uh, that our conservatives in this country are overwhelmingly religious because a few of them are going to listen to the Gospels and have a change of heart. And we've seen that so many times over the years. And right now, believe it or not, even in Ohio, you have a number of evangelical Christians who are open to criminal justice reform, open to ending the death penalty, open in some cases to looking at a different way of treating addiction uh, issues. And so I wish that there was more openness and a lot more issues like voting rights would be the most obvious. But I think there is hope. Um, Putting all of that aside, it's not clear to me that people are necessarily voting on those issues either way. And we as Democrats have to craft messages that are more relevant to than what Fox News is selling. And <laughs> it's not impossible. Bill Clinton did it. Sherrod Brown's done it. Barack Obama did it. 
a guy that many evangelical Christians believe is a Muslim, even though he's or the Antichrist. Or the Antichrist. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. And what's amazing is that there are many people that both believe that he was in fact a Muslim and voted for him anyway. And mm. there are many people in Ohio that did that. And so this is all it's all gets jumbled and confusing. And in the end, people vote for elected officials who, th who they think have their back. And mm. we have to figure out how to come up with better ideas and figure out ways to not concede rural or small town areas, but go everywhere and ask for everybody's vote. Got it. I'll give my last question here. Um, I guess a question. But um, as we know, St. Patrick's Day just passed yesterday. And in the Celtics, they have what is uh, normally called the thin places, correct? Uh, right. Where it's almost where divinity meets humanity. And, you know, in politicians in this political world, you hear these questions or these responses such as we have to vote for the less of lesser, lesser of the two evils. Two evils. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you as being like you said, you call yourself a Christian. Um, how do you how do you define with that? How do you make that? You know, how do you gravel with the fact that you're a Christian, but you still have to deal with the politics? And I, I know and we're, we're doing it. Are we marrying politics and Christianity now um, as Pastor Todd is doing this? It's so many who are doing it now. Um, how do how do we you know, get through that? Well, look, I think. I very much believe that we are in a country that believes in some reasonable separation of church and state. There's never a perfect separation, but there is a reasonable separation where we are in a country where you're allowed to be Christian or Jew or Muslim or atheist. And we have to respect uh, the right of individuals to exercise that freedom. And we have to make sure that the culture of our government uh, does that. But we know that there were, you know, many atheists, Jews, Muslims that marched for civil rights, not just Christians. Mm -hmm. And and all of the same marching, you know, with the Nazis in the past mm -hmm. and other horrible things. Wow. And so there are a lot of people who do good and bad things who call themselves a variety of religious or non-religious things. And some of the best saints have never known God. And so I think... The, the, the decision as to where people's soul is is above my pay grade. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, those of us who are believers think that there's a lot to be said for trying to con conform ourselves more to the ideals and love of Jesus. But other people do amazing things. And what happens ultimately with their soul is up to God. Uh, but I know that they are, in often cases, more spiritually aligned with Jesus um, than people who claim to be followers of Jesus. Wow. Wow. I appreciate that answer. The big battleground uh, that a lot of our conservative uh, friends are really laying into is CRT and this battle over school boards, teaching in schools, parental control. It feels like an attack on history and black history itself. Uh, I'm somewhat frustrated with all the diversity inclusion and maybe its effectiveness or ineffectiveness, you know, and what actually it may accomplish, but the outright attack on actually, you know, people might feel bad, you know, that kind of thing. Do you see that burgeoning in Ohio? 
and whether or not it's a central to Ohio issue, how would you address that if it became an issue in Ohio and it becomes a, you know, legislation that starts to be, you know, introduced and there is this huge battle, every school system's having to deal with it. Those of us who know and work in academia, you know, uh, I'm going for my master's uh, right now in, in, in divinity and all of that. We know that CRT isn't even a thing in local schools. It's not even a thing. But they're they're conflating black history and speaking about the real atrocities that have occurred in this country, just like any other country, Germany, Russia, China. They're conflating that with CRT and this anti-American teaching, this, you know, shaming children or people who weren't alive for being white. I had a pastor tell me I don't want to be hated just because I'm white. And he was talking about CRT. And I'm like, bruh, you know, that, that was my answer. Bruh. You know? <laughs> How would you combat that as governor? And where do you see Ohio going with that? Well, look, we need a fact-based uh, history in Ohio and in America. I'm a very proud American. And yet we know that the story of America uh, has been ending oppressions to expand liberation. And that's what makes me proud is that we were born in sin and slavery. We were born with uh, chattel slavery. And then ultimately women couldn't vote until 1920 and then Jim Crow and segregation and uh, mistreatment of gays and lesbians, etc. And over time we have gotten better, not perfect, but better. And I believe that it's the creed of America of equality that has been made hypocrites of us from the beginning that has mm. over time called us to be better people, even though we still have a many, many ways to go. And so I, I believe that teaching the accurate and factual history of America is critical to a true pride um, of what American mm. history is about. Now, what I find interesting about this debate, one is that, of course, there's no actual critical race theory being taught in K-12. But secondly is the people who are most concerned about it, you know, are saying, let's do less theories and more facts. But we can't even get them to agree that Joe Biden won the election in 2020. <laughs> These right. people who are most worried about theories can't even acknowledge the obvious objective fact that Biden won the most votes and the Electoral College and Trump lost. And so the last people I want to be taking history lessons from are people right. who can't even acknowledge what happened in front of all of our eyes, you know, a year and a half ago. So I certainly don't want them teaching us what happened in 1960s or 1860s when they can't even accurately tell us what happened in November of 2020. And you make sure you say that for the debate, Doc. That that's was, that's good. a good that's one. That's good stuff right there. You Doc. say that for the debate. I will say amen. I will jump up. <laughs> By the way, I, I, play. I do have to get going soon, uh, but this has been awesome. No, listen, we appreciate you being with us. We appreciate the time. I want everybody to give it up for Mr. John Cranley, candidate for governor, Democratic candidate. The, 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 the primary is March th May 3rd, as far as we know so far, until they get these doggone uh, uh, things right. Mr. Cranley has to, has to depart from us, but thank you so much. And we look forward to future engagement and future work and, and talking with you and challenging you and hearing your answers. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for being thank with you us. Again. Thank appreciate you. It means a lot. Thank, thank you. you. You have a great night, Mr. Cranley. You too. Take care. Hey, man, that was good. It was good. I, I really appreciated hearing mm -hmm. from, from him and, and, and what he was honest about. 
you know, I think that it's going to take follow up on our part. And I've been saying that to those of you that are watching that, yes, we can hold our politicians accountable for coming around between elections. Yes, we can hold them accountable for, you know, fulfilling their promises and staying engaged with what they're saying during the campaigns. But that's on us to continue to push for that, to continue to call, call, call these offices, write, write text, a, 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 something. Get, Absolutely. Get Absolutely. And then if nothing else, vote. How about that? Absolutely. Make sure you vote. Make, make, make sure you push that out. And then we're going to continue to have these conversations. Now, we're not going to do a political candidate every single week, but we're going to continue to push these conversations because politics and policies affect the church and our communities. And there really is no separation between church and state because state affects the people of the church. And, and, and there really is no uh, you know, separation there. Legally, we can't impose, but we should be impacted and concerned about it. And we want to thank everybody who watched, everybody who tuned in. Uh, we want to remind you to continue to follow Religiously Incorrect, to subscribe on YouTube, to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we want to do our final uh, our, our final ad. Now, if we can get Miss Obama next week, we we Let's back get, on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can yeah. get, we can get Michelle. Michelle. Not Barack, you want Michelle. Yeah, we want Michelle. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but we want to thank uh, Phillips Care Family of Businesses, Phillips Care Training, who are the owners of High Street Fitness in Cortland. Call my man, Mike. He'll get you right. Look up Phillips Care Training on Facebook. Uh, call High Street Fitness in Cortland. They have a full service gym there. He does personal training, group training. Get you right for summer. Check out Phillips Care Training on uh, Facebook and tell them Religiously Incorrect sent you. We thank God for our sponsors. And if you would like to be a sponsor of Religiously Incorrect, you can always send us an email <coughs> at religiouslyincorrectpodcast at gmail.com. That's religiouslyincorrectpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Pastor Jeff, you want to give us closing thoughts before we, before we cut out? I'm about to start sending out sponsoring sheets to people. Put your addresses down. I'm spending our sponsors. It's like a Baptist going to sponsor us for a while. Hey, that's we, what we, 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 we I, I, get, I get progressive. Make, make something happen. Dollars. Make something happen. Hey, Amen. we appreciate y'all Thank watching. Thank y'all so much. Show up for Sunday night service tomorrow. Excuse me, next Sunday is going to be live. It's going to be fine. <laughs> We're going to have more great conversation. Until next time, everybody take care. <laughs>